<laughs> Season one, let's do it. Hey, beautiful humans, you're listening to the Human Experience Podcast, hosted by me, Kiara Marie. I'm a functional nutritional therapy practitioner and a functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. I'm here to share my human experience, as well as have these raw and powerful conversations with leaders in the health and wellness space. The Human Experience Podcast began because I truly believe our souls are here to experience a wide range of emotions, make mistakes, own our past traumas that led us to make them, and face our deepest fears in order to grow. The Human Experience is a conversation about self-development, conscious awareness, normal human responses, and connecting mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. The Human Experience promises to deliver authenticity and diversity. The Human Experience community is a group of humans doing the work so they can live their lives to their fullest potential and are here to break intergenerational family patterns so that generations to come can too. At The Human Experience, we're diving deep. Thanks so much for tuning in. Enjoy the show. Mm, oh my gosh. You guys, it's already May. That's crazy. I don't know where the time has gone. And especially now that we're in such a strange time, I would think that time would be going by much slower, much at a much slower pace for me, but it hasn't. I have actually been moving through my days rather quickly. And I have to pause and remind myself that this time probably won't come again in my lifetime. Or maybe it will. Who really knows? All I know is now. And I have this time to be slow, move slow. Yet I have tapped into this creative mind of mine and it's all pouring out of me. Mostly because I feel like my mind has been clouded with other surface level things and it hasn't had the time and space to create my life's work and my life's work is helping and doing that for you guys and sharing and being vulnerable and just being so open I never ever thought I would be doing this I do have to remember that I I think everyone should have boundaries um So I am doing some boundary work as well. I am in a place in my life where I've just, I've been working on myself day in and day out. And man, does it feel good. That's the true self-love that I've been yearning for. And at times it has been uncomfortable to face my demons, my ego. But then I'm like, wow, I'm so grateful for this awareness And to be able to do this in such a healing environment at 27 years old, and it just feels so good. Um, And if I were still in certain scenarios, because many events have taken place in my life to lead me to this point, obviously, with all of us. But if I were still in these spaces, I wouldn't have been here gotten here so quickly and been producing so much content for you guys I mean I have episodes all the way out until July right now by the end of this week I'll have episodes through 
end of July. And I don't say that with an egotistical mindset at all. I say that because I never, ever thought I would be capable of doing such. I've doubted myself so much. And here I am having the best, most intimate conversations with leaders in the health and wellness space. And just friends of mine that have gotten us even closer. I truly believe someone, everyone, has something to bring to this world. And I think these conversations are definitely a channel for that. Um, so yeah. One of the most powerful conversations I think I'll have on this podcast is on today's episode with a leader in functional medicine, Dr. Jess. She has been someone I've looked up to in the field for quite some time now. I was a part of her, one of her supplement test groups, thought that was awesome. And I also had the opportunity of meeting Dr. Jess earlier this year, so serendipitous. And that's when I knew I wasn't even supposed to be in Denver. It was totally last minute. I didn't know Dr. Jess was in Denver. We just, I happened to be at the counter and my past partner and just looked over and said, hey, I think that's Dr. Jess. And I was like, oh my God, I think you're right. My hands flew up in the air and I was like, I have to go talk to her. Like, And we did. And she is the most genuine, fiery spirit I've ever met. She's awesome. She brings such useful information to her Instagram page. She's now moving over over to like more formal educational videos um, and just really being a voice for those who don't have voices in the medical space. Um, she believes in medical freedom, informed consent, and I'm all about that stuff. And we'll dive deeper into this episode. But today, we're going to be mainly chatting about the coronavirus. Obviously, that's what we're going through right now. So I moved this episode up to today because I wanted to, I wanted everything to be relevant. And if I kept it for the end of July or whatever the case, um, it might not be relevant because things are changing every day. So we chat about everything in this episode relating to coronavirus. There's so much. Um, she sheds a lot of light on what the facts are because there's a lot of misinformation out there. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen. Be sure to take some notes. Um, share this with your friends and family because I know people need to hear what Dr. Jess has to say. Enjoy. Do you want to be in optimal health by having better digestion, glowing skin, better sleep, and more energy? That's where I come in. I help women heal so they can own their bodies by having better digestion, cycles, and moods. My customized programs are for you if you have thyroid issues, gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, acne, or other chronic conditions, and if you're committed to making the food and lifestyle changes needed in order to reach your goals. If this sounds like you, shoot me an email to schedule your free discovery call at kiaramariewellness at gmail.com. Now back to the show.
All right, guys, today's episode is going to be a good one. <laughs> I'm thinking about this. It's going to be, oh my gosh, so much information to cover. But I'm very excited to have Dr. Jess on the Human Experience Podcast. She has been an idol of mine maybe oh, like two years now since I started following you. It has been awesome just getting to know you and everything that you share is such valuable information. Um, so I guess I should back up a little bit. Um, Dr. Jess and I, I was a part of a, a supplement test group with her. Yes, you were. Yeah. And then I what was interested in working with Dr. Jess at one point. And then we actually, it was so serendipitous when we met earlier this year in person, I was in Denver at the same time that Dr. Jess was. And I, I didn't even know that you were in Denver at that time. No. I was off social media. And then we just ran to each other at, at a really cool restaurant in Denver. And, yeah. Uh, an organic restaurant, of course. Right. We were at the little healthy spot. Exactly. <laughs> um, and my partner at the time was like, I think that's Dr. Jess. And I was like, I I was, like, <laughs> I was freaking out. But I'm glad was, you came and said hi, though. Yeah. Yeah. It was, was awesome. Good. Yeah. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit more about Dr. Jess for those who don't know. So for anybody who doesn't know who I am, um, I guess lovingly I'm known as Dr. Jess, but my full name is Dr. Jessica Petros, and I am a medical doctor who um, I came from, I went to school actually in Kentucky at the University of Louisville and um, finished my residency there in internal medicine and was a board certified hospitalist, which if you guys don't know what that is, that means I pretty much um, was a doc in the hospital who admitted anything from the emergency department that didn't need emergent surgery. So if it wasn't a surgical case, it came to me. And so I had to know something about everything, basically, you know, anything. This covered ICU patients, um, any sort of adult patient, anything that wasn't emergent and surgical. So, you know, I did that for almost seven years. And um, then there started to be, I guess, cracks in the system for me. I just sort of started to say, why are you feeding these people this stuff in the cafeteria when they have cancer? And um, why are all these patients on this narcotic all the time? And we're treating symptoms rather than looking at the root cause, you know, all that stuff. I just started to question things um, and really got labeled disruptive. And, um, you know, I even had a lead hospitalist set me down and say, you know, the system's really messed up. It's just the way it is. Like they were basically like suck it up and work in it. You know, and I just, I just, it just was driving me crazy. Like it was literally a thorn in my side every day. I wasn't happy. Um, I think that it showed I was always complaining to the other doctors there and it wasn't who I wanted to be long-term at all. And so I ended up quitting because I couldn't change them. I can't change that system by myself. Mm -hmm. And so um, now I really love functional medicine and I look at getting to the root cause for people rather than just giving um, a pill or a Band-Aid for every symptom, which I completely disagree with now. And so, um, you know, now I think that there's a lot of reasons that people can be sick. It's rarely just in your genes. So I've become sort of, I guess, an investigator at finding out what in the environment is leading to chronic illness for people. That's awesome. I love yeah. that about getting to the root cause of things. Yeah. But 
I've had my own personal health struggles and was wondering if there, if there was like anything that you endured like during before becoming a doctor or anything that led to. Yeah. You know, um, I have not had a lot of physical health struggles um, as far as chronic health struggles go. But when I, I, my body's, I, I'm lucky this lifetime, this go around, if you will, I've, um, I, I, my body's a tank, but I have struggled with a lot of anxiety in the past. I struggled with, you know, adrenal dysfunction, which anyone who's overworked or stressed out can, can suffer from. And that doesn't discriminate. Um, and that's really the extent of, um, a chronic health problems for me. What happened to me when I was 17 is I was in a car accident and we rolled the car and I broke my back. I was the least hurt. I didn't have to have surgery like everyone else, but I did have to wear a back brace that went from like my shoulders to my waist. Basically, it was like, I looked like a football, like a, like a running back or something, a linebacker. I had, you know, I was square. It's strapped over here and it's strapped on the sides and it went all the way down to my waist and I could only take it off when I was lying down. I had to wear it in the shower and everything for three months. Mm-hmm. And um, after that, I really decided that I was going to go into healthcare um, mm-hmm. when that happened. So that was sort of the, the turning point for me, I think. And here you are. Yeah. So many in your own practice now and just on the internet. I mean, yeah. you have transformed lives. And I'm Thank you. I've known you. And you also surrounded yourself with so many like-minded individuals and doctors in the field, um, which is welcome. I love the movement that this is taking the direction that things are heading in and getting to the root cause of these illnesses. And today we're going to be specifically talking about what's going on in the world right now. The big C word COVID-19 <laughs> coronavirus. Um, wow. There's so much to really uncover um, and get to the bottom of things. So why don't we start off with what is the coronavirus? That's a good question. It's a little more complicated than one might think, actually. If you look on the internet anyway, that has no chill. Um, So (laughs) coronavirus. So let's basically, let's back up and just say what's a virus. So a virus, it's actually not a living organism. It needs a host to live and survive. So just, I want you guys to know that. It has this little caps, what they call a capsid, this little viral shell. And then it has either a double strand of DNA or a single strand of RNA inside of it. So it's got like a protein shell or viral capsid and then the, the genetic material. Mm-hmm. And then that basically that's it. And it needs a host to really be able to replicate and survive. Right. And it actually, <clears throat> they're so smart viruses in general, that once they're inside, once it's inside of us, it takes over by using our own machinery to replicate itself. So it's actually ingenious. Um, so that's what a virus is, right? Now, this is a novel virus, meaning it's new, and the human body has never seen it. Um, if we <clears throat> if we believe the narrative that it came from a bat um, and jumped from an animal vector to humans, then this is really the first time we've seen it. And that's the reason that it's having this big immune response. And a lot of people are having trouble overcoming the virus, depending on their comorbidities or their, their underlying inflammation. Um, and that's because the human body's never seen it before. You know, our body remembers things by making antibodies, and that's how we get over things. So if we've never seen it before, the body can kind of has this overzealous response, and it's our own immune system that gets us in trouble. So the coronavirus, um, there are some people who says that it's more, acts more like a poison. It's not really a virus. It's a chimeric response, right? So almost like 
it's a it's a progenitor off a stem cell, right? Um, and that's what some people are saying that this is actually chemical waste coming out of our cells in a chimeric response um, based on toxicity. So mm-hmm. there's two different theories right now about what the COVID-19 is actually. Is it more of a toxin chimeric response because of environmental pollution um, or you know, Wi-Fi? Or is it, right? Or is it a virus which needs the host to replicate and it's novel so we're having this big immune response? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, and what about the numbers that have been skyrocketing? How do we know if those numbers are actually accurate? I don't know what's accurate right now. I mm-hmm. don't. Um, I don't trust the mainstream media. So mm-hmm. it makes it very difficult <clears throat> to trust the numbers that are put out there if you question the mainstream narrative. And I do. I yeah. do. I think there is an underlying um, MO for mm-hmm. and reason for all this. So so, you know, they originally said, predicted it was going to kill hundreds of thousands of people and then backed off that. And those, those you know, educated hypotheses, I don't even want to say educated necessarily, those hypotheses that people made and put that out there, put the fear factor out there, which caused all this, you know, they're now saying it's not going to kill that many people. And you've even seen the CDC revise some of its numbers in recent days, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> which I think is what you're referring to. They mm-hmm. came in from 60,000 to 30,000, right? Um, in the death num- the death summaries. Mm-hmm. And I will say from being a hospitalist, I was the one who has to sign the death summaries a lot of times. And I know how long that that can take. And we would get in trouble if we didn't sign them promptly because the, the funeral home would be waiting on them. And so, and so it does take a couple weeks to get accurate numbers in because of those death summaries. So I wonder if some of it is that, and then I wonder too, if there is an agenda that they're backpedaling on. I, it's so hard for me to know for sure. Yeah. I was reading about how, because the, the hospitals are flooded right now and, um, how they weren't even taking the time to get a positive test. Um, that they were just entering things in as COVID um, Correct. If, if they came in with any symptoms or lack of, because aren't some people asymptomatic or is that even true? No, know. they can. Yeah. There was a study done. I don't remember if it was British medical journal, who it was now recently in between April and May of this year. And then they tracked women who were giving birth in the hospital mm-hmm. to children. And I think it was something like 15% of them had positive antibodies to coronavirus. And so it's assumed because of some of these, whoops, some of these studies that are happening and some of these statistics that are coming out that possibly there are more people who have been exposed than we previously thought. And perhaps the mortality rate is lower than we previously thought for the, that reason too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but there's so much information out there right now coming from multiple sources. It's so hard to know. Yeah. And how are these p- patients? finding true relief or like what's being given to them, like the hydroxychloroquine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That rolled right off your tongue. That was good. That one's a mouthful. So yeah, that was a good one. And it's, but you know, I want to stress to people, there's no magic bullet that will cover everyone. Everybody's mm-hmm. different and unique. So hydroxychloroquine is a great one. It's a zinc ionophore, which means that It brings zinc inside the cells, which is what we need. Zinc is great. It helps temper oxidation. It helps stop um, 
a lot of the immune overreaction inside inside the body. But it, the problem is it doesn't get into cells very easily. So mm. it needs a carrier or an ionophore to help bring it into the channel. And so that's what hydroxychloroquine does. And then um, another problem that people are having is they're clotting from this. There's a lot of people who form clots. And especially, it seems young people, you know, these are the outliers we hear about in the media anyway that they decide to tell us about, right? So mm-hmm. there's um, there's a lot of clotting problems like pulmonary embolisms, which are clots in the lungs, clots in the legs, you know, clots in, everywhere. And the clotting aspect of things um, often requires a blood thinner, something like heparin, um, which is an IV blood thinner. Um, and so I've heard of a lot of people doing zinc, hydroxychloroquine, and heparin, or something close to that. The ni- natural version of that is natokinase, which helps to naturally thin the blood. It's a fibrinolytic enzyme that busts up inflammation. Okay. Is that just like a capsule supplement? Yeah, it's a capsule. And you can usually, I bet, you know, I can't say for sure that something like Whole Foods would have it, but you could definitely get it on Amazon. Um, okay. And just know it's not right for everyone, right? If you're already on a blood thinner or something like that, you probably don't want to take natokinase. Yeah. So um, the stress that is being put on our bodies and minds specifically um, relating to the virus, that alone is like suppressing the immune system. Oh, yeah. So who is really at risk here? Yeah, absolutely. There's, you know, that also has been a a point of controversy, I feel, too, who's at risk. Um, You, if you listen to my brother, who's an ICU nurse, and he's a traveling ICU nurse, he's in an area in the area of like uh, New Mexico, Arizona right now. So there's a lot of a Native American community there who has a lot of comorbidities. When you talk to him, his whole ICU is COVID patients. And he has a 31-year-old on the ventilator, Mm. you know, and so you hear things like that, or you're in a world like that, there's a very much, um, a lot of fear, a lot of belief in what's being told because you're, you're seeing these sick, sick people every day. But I don't believe that that's a representative or an accurate representation of the, um, community or population as a whole, because he's in that one area where there's a lot of comorbidities. So speaking of that comorbidities, right, what's wrong? This population, unfortunately, has a lot of high cholesterol, um, diabetes, um, gosh, all that stuff, blood sugar issues, um, overweight. And those are the risk factors that seem to put most people at risk. Uh, one thing I do need to talk to my brother about is what, or what are the risk factors that your 31 year old patient had? Mm -hmm. I want to know those outliers, those young people, um, do they have underlying inflammation they don't know about? Is, is, is there inflammation? You know, all these things, because what it seems like happening is happening are people's oxygen saturations are dropping um, and they get what we know, what we call hypoxic, which means low blood oxygen. Um, and then our natural training as physicians or first responders is to put a tube down someone's throat immediately when they have low oxygen, right? And what it seems to, which I can't tell my brother this when he's in the ICU taking care of intubated patients, but it seems that putting someone on a ventilator or intubating them may not be the answer to this either, despite the low oxygen saturations. The problem is, uh, like you said earlier, almost like an altitude sickness. It's um, a a problem with the oxygen exchange in the body. Um, And so that's the thing. If you're someone who has a low lung reserve, you have terrible COPD or um, asthma, or you smoked your whole life, right? You have some emphysema. 
um, or you have a lot of inflammation and you know you do, you're someone that probably does need to quarantine longer. Um, you are someone that could be considered vulnerable in that community, right? And that's different than someone who has no pre-existing conditions, works out you know, every day, every other day, eats an organic diet, and knows a lot about environmental chemicals and exposures and how those can lead to inflammation too. That's very, those are very different populations. Mm -hmm. So along with those comorbidities, um, another risk factor that you had mentioned earlier was Wi-Fi. Um, so let's, let's chat about the big 5G and what it is um, and how it can impact us. So there's a theory, there's a few theories out about 5G, but we'll, I'll just keep it to the facts right off the bat here. So 5G um, is the new uh, installation mm -hmm. of the Wi-Fi network that's going out. It's, it's interesting to me that they picked the pandemic to roll this out. They actually passed the law on March 23rd into action. And then you could see a lot of the... Um, social media, online community, talking and posting pictures and videos about yeah. line workers out putting up towers while everyone was confined. Or trying to hide them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> trying to hide them. And sometimes not doing a very good job at that. It's almost like a joke. It's yeah. like a tree that, and it's this weird plastic box thing. Yeah. You guys will see them. So yeah. the problem is that this is a very high frequency, short millimeter wave. Um, and they're locking it all in a, a giant grid. So there will be no inch of God's green earth that doesn't, isn't able to have 5G or Wi-Fi capabilities. And this is something that I'm not saying it's the end all be all of negative things with health. But the problem is that it's unstudied. It's studied poorly. There's, there's very sparse studies on it. And um, to roll it out this aggressively without that is, is it seems very... Um, that there's a very much an ulterior motive with that um, to choose a time to roll this out during a pandemic. And the studies that we do have show us that, you know, placing bacteria in a Petri dish near a Wi-Fi router, they're able to evade certain antibiotics um, mechanisms. They're able to grow outside their means. Um, they start behaving a little bit differently in the microbiome because of those abnormal frequencies, which are man-made. And again, um, there are, so much when there aren't studies like this and we only see one percent of the electromagnetic spectrum um we can't see 99 percent of everything else it makes you wonder what our world would look like if we could see that would we see all this electrostatic smog and wonder what that's doing to our bodies because then it's out in your face and you can't ignore it mm -hmm. you know but we're made we're frequency we energy affects us um look what light converts into and for photosynthesis for plants all using energy utilization and so we are energy just because we can't visually see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist and i think that it's out of our mind and out of our sight so this is falling under the radar for a lot of people and you just don't think about it if you're in a high rise or an apartment complex you are connected to 50 general wi-fi channels um, at any given time so this is something we need to kind of consider and think about um, and then there's, you know, the theory about how this connects to coronavirus, you know, well, obviously if these unnatural frequencies are affecting our energy bodies and, um, our health, we, they, it may be that it, you could see how the possibility would exist that this could increase our propensity for catching something like a virus. Um, also there's been the theory that this isn't a virus. This is a chimeric, um, 
it's almost a chimera that is able to expel toxins from the cell when it's exposed to a certain toxin, right? It expels it intracellularly into the extracellular fluid is what they're saying. And that's what looks like a viral symptom. For example, radiation syndrome um, can look like a viral illness, when you get up high enough in radiation, it looks like a viral, that's how it presents. And so there are some people who think that Wuhan had launched, I think it was Skynet through China. Um, Italy and Iran had already set up towers as well. People said it wasn't in Iran, it actually was. So there's some talk too as to whether this is actually more of a chemical exposure um, or a toxin expulsion that's happening in the body rather than a virus. Mm-hmm. Either way, FabG has not been studied enough, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something to take into account when it comes to our health, um, especially how we were just so bombarded with it, bombarded with it on a regular basis. I mean, I look outside my house now and I can clearly see like two towers and then just, you know, the close proximity that we have to our phones and laptops and especially on our bodies um, and large appliances in the house. I mean, it's everywhere. The smart meters attached to our homes um, as well can give off a ton of electromagnetic frequencies. Um, And it just makes sense that all of those risk factors can lead to a really poor response, bodily response to what's, what's happening right now. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and health is not one thing that you did, it's cumulative over time. It's the absence of disease. So -hmm. if there's disease present, you need to trace your history back and look what exposures you've had. I fully believe that EMF should be included in there. Fully, you know? Yeah, it's a huge stressor on the body, um, I think. Mm -hmm. And I I do take precautions to, to protect myself. I know you have your is it Rayonex? Yeah, I have it sitting right here on the table. I should have it on. Yes. <laughs> I, have, I have one similar, and I also have, well, I just took my energy bracelet off. Yeah. But, um, that, and then I have um, this cube that I keep in the house. It's um, by Blue Shield, and oh, yeah. it's supposed to help protect the entire house. I do want to get a smart meter cover, and I do sleep with my phone outside of the bedroom. You know, just nice. For my laptop, I have a Defender Shield case. So nice. Very good. You can do just these little things that actually do end up making a difference. They, but like you said, they seem so out of sight, out of mind because we're not seeing everything. But some other um, symptoms that one can experience due to EMF is about like brain fog, poor sleep. Absolutely. A lot of people even get these weird, um, what we call paresthesias, like pins and needles sensations on your, especially legs and arms. They'll often get it while they're holding their phone. Mm-hmm. So almost, it's like a, you know, like your arms falling asleep, that type of sensation. It's mm-hmm. nerve stuff a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think we can also reset these frequencies uh, by getting out into nature and going outside, which um, <laughs> has also been controversial with everything going on right now. So what are your thoughts on, you know, everything being lifted slowly um, and actually getting outside in nature? Well, you know, I think everyone can agree that 
indoor air is more toxic than outdoor air, according to all of the studies. Uh, and then all of our furniture off gases, all the adhesives and carpets and everything in our house off gases. So we're exposed to like volatile organic compounds, flame retardants, indoor air, whatever mold might be growing in our house, and then Wi-Fi. So that's not really good for our immune systems. Mm. Um, what's good for our immune systems is going out barefoot in the grass and grounding mm. and getting out in nature, saying hello to some trees, not to be a, real, a tree hugger hippie, but come on, really, guys. You know, um, that kind of stuff is really good for the soul and the mind and the body. And, um, yeah, it's a great way to temper the positive um, ions that can be attached to the body, things in heavy metals. When the earth is negatively charged, it can pull those right out. So that's a really great way. Uh, you know, even getting vitamin D, how are you going to activate your vitamin D if you don't get your 20 minutes of sunlight every day? Yeah, with no yeah. green. So right. Your receptors. Yeah. Right. It's very important. And then, you know, really community in general, having a community and being able to um, really connect. You know, that's really important. I truly feel that the island of Okinawa, that's why the Japanese um, elderly have lived over a hundred years old in such a big proportion of the population there is because they have purpose and they have a community that they live out that purpose in, in mm -hmm. even into older age. Mm -hmm. And so if you could have to think about all these people who don't have significant others, they don't have a family, um, they're stuck inside their house and their friends or their other friends, family members were all they had. And now they're, they're cut off from that. And it's exactly. not good. Yeah. It just on the mind. That's it, an even bigger stressor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so what do you think of, you know, them like state by state is that? Oh, yes. I think the in California, the uh, stay at home orders were just extended. Is that right? I think so. I know that they just published an article in San Diego that said we met four out of the five criteria. Um, but I, they were opening the oceans there for a little while. I know in the Encinitas, everyone was out this past weekend. It was, I was shocked, mm. shocked. I know so. there are a lot of, um, protests going on with, with everything and how it stands, um, in regards to our freedom and what's taken away. Um, yes. what are your thoughts there? Well, you know, I mean, the real definition of quarantining is is keeping the, the ill and the vulnerable away, not the healthy, really. So, you know, it's, it's devastating when people get physically ill. It's also de it's also devastating when people become financially destitute. Um, and and they're both a painful, painful thing to have happen. And so there's this fine balance between protecting people and then not ruining people financially, which I believe has already happened. I think most of America is one paycheck away from not good things usually. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, so, you know, unfortunately I think that it, it, we have to kind of, we have to entertain that idea. I think that, um, quarantining doesn't get rid of a virus. It, it, it may prevent the spread of the virus, but unfortunately when the virus is out in the community, once it's jumped factors into the human population, it's here to stay and it may come back every winter. Does that mean we're going to quarantine every winter for how long? Yeah. Till, till authority, says what till when do we ask questions when do we decide that our immune system are we going to stay quarantined until there's a vaccine mm. who's is everyone are we going to be forced to take the vaccine you know mm. so there's all these questions and for me i think that um 
the sooner we get out and are able to resume society, the better at this point. If we need to quarantine the ill and the vulnerable and keep people out of nursing homes, um, out of hospitals during, for a certain amount of time, I think that's totally reasonable, um, especially in the hotbeds. And um, we need to, you know, understand that it's scary, but eventually you're going to probably have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. Do I trust my immune system to face this and take my chances? Um, or do I take a vaccine? Um, because it's already out in the population. Yeah. And I think I just heard that our president said that we would have one by end of the year. Yeah, I think I did hear that too, which I feel um, strongly about because it's been so fast-tracked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was, um, I mean, Bill Gates was behind it and – there is no medical education that he has. So, yeah, I think Moderna is the name of the company. I think that's the name of the company that's coming out with the vaccine. That's the front runner. Vaccine. What is it? Is it a microchipped vaccine? So, no, um, I think this one, there is going to be a microchip, but this one is using um, recombinant viral DNA that gets implanted into our genome, into our DNA, so that it's there in the R or excuse me, into the RNA. So it's there forever. And then it gets passed down epigenetically. You're changing. It's literally changing who, what humans are by putting viral RNA into ours. So it's literally changing it. And it tells why they're doing that is it tells our body to make antibodies against that virus once we do that. Yeah. And this is not, this is not good guys. This is fast track. There's been, there's a lot of, um, I mean, they did this with the H1N1 vaccine. There was a lot of problems with, um, so this is something that can change your genome, change your DNA. We don't know that it can actually make things worse or activate certain things in the body, including autoimmunity. Yeah. And, and, how do we know that this is actually like creating those antibodies and what actually does create those antibodies and what um, is also in the vaccine? Neurotoxins. Right. That's the thing. They have to get the body to have an immune response, which cause, which usually, usually requires a lot of inflammation for the body to go, whoa, what is going on over there? We should probably make an army and go check it out. It takes a lot of inflammation for the body to say that. And so if you just gave it a killed virus or something like that, it wouldn't work. You have to give it with polysorbate 80 and rhesus monkey uh, stem cells and gentamicin and all the other detergents and things that you put in there because that activates the immune response in the body where it says, oh my gosh, something's going on. We need to go check this out, right? Um, it requires all those because just the virus or bacteria in the vaccine wouldn't be enough. Mm -hmm. um, and so... And so, yeah, it's got all these extra ingredients in it. And I, if they're going to do this, then I would like some clinical trials. Mm -hmm. Yep. And as far as we know now, those have not been done and don't plan on being done because, I mean, I've already gotten word that a county near me was requiring the vaccine. Um, yeah, the county was like less than 20 minutes away for all public schools. Oh, really? Yeah, for all public schools. Fairfax oh, wow. schools in Virginia um, are mandating the vaccine. <gasps> so before right. it's even out, before it's even on the market, it's um, 
It's on their new guideline sheet before everyone returns to school. Well, I mean, I knew after writing vaccine exemptions in California, the way they witch hunted me to try and just find one fraudulent exemption so they could know all the rest of them for these fragile children. I knew the way they witch hunted me that this was a national, if not global agenda. Mm-hmm. There was no reason. I mean, it was almost, it was borderline illegal what they did. They almost got a class action lawsuit against them. Not for me, but from a world-class um, um, Harvard trained lawyer and a bunch of um, different like physicians for informed consent, you know, a bunch of people like that had gotten together. That's the big point we're trying to drive home here. Like is being informed about your medical decisions, which that doesn't happen too often. And in conventional medicine, even when it comes to being prescribed certain medications um, beforehand and the side effects that could possibly take, take place um, after being on these medications. But and that's not to say, I think prescription medication definitely has a time and a place, right? Um, but it's about being informed before actually choosing to get on these medications. And the same goes for vaccines um, and doing the research, um, reading the inserts and reading the stories that so oh, many yeah. heard um, from giving. And uh, that's the thing. I think a lot of parents don't know the difference between an immunocompromised child and then just being told to give the full vaccine schedule, especially all at once too. It's a lot. Their babies' immune systems are so fragile. It's a lot. And, you know, know, we think of, we've been taught sort of indirectly that immunocompromised means someone who just went through chemotherapy or Mm -hmm. someone with cancer or, you know, a bunch of autoimmunity or, you know, they have to, they almost look fragile to be immunocompromised. And that's not the case. There are many patients that I see in their 20s and 30s that I would consider immunocompromised. Um, Yeah. You know, sometimes, yeah, there are different gradients of all these things. And just because someone doesn't look sick doesn't mean they aren't. So that's what I think a lot of the mainstream media plays on is they'll take these outliers who with these young cases and say, oh, my gosh, look, young, he looks so healthy. Look what happened. Just because someone looks healthy doesn't mean they're healthy, guys. Does not mean that. Trust me. Mm -hmm. I think that's what's um, also been said in the media, too, that the virus does not discriminate and that this Mm. person is so healthy and everything is fine. But I I bet if we ran some functional lab testing and really dug deep and, you know, on the surface, they might seem so healthy. But I bet they're bloated every day. I bet if you talk to them, they're bloated every day. How much you want to bet? And bloating. I mean, gosh, I can go into that. But (laughs) so normalized. Yeah. Like being bloated is normal and we all experience it, but I don't think, um, on a, but from a chronic standpoint, it is, it's totally not normal. It's totally not normal. And you can also poop once a day and be constipated and that's not normal too. So a lot of things that are viewed as normal and healthy in America aren't necessarily when you start to dig a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's the point we want to drive home there. Um, so when we are quote unquote back to normal, <laughs> what do you think things will start to look like? I mean, the social distancing is still in effect, but although I, I don't really see that. No. <laughs> People are over it. I'm like, what is going on? It was like a madhouse this weekend. <laughs> yeah. And then I've heard um, 
controversial evidence on face masks, if we should actually be wearing those out in public. <laughs> oh, boy. So the face masks. Um, excuse me. There's a lot of places that are still requiring them in California. I don't know if it's like that in Virginia where you are. If there are places like grocery stores still requiring them. Yeah, mine too. Okay. So, and it kills me because they'll let anyone in there with any sort of face mask. I mean, it's, it's like you could wrap your sweatshirt around your face and they'll let you in there. And that's not, there's no scientific evidence that any of that works, you guys. Actually, the first um, randomized controlled study of its kind showed that masks pre prevent you from spreading the virus, but they don't protect you from getting it. So, um, and not just that, but the cloth ones, you guys, the do-rags, all that stuff, they do not work. They, do, they don't, why? They don't work, guys. No. They're cute. <laughs> I think everyone's getting into the fashion side of things. Yeah. They're really enjoying it, but no, they don't work. They don't work, you guys. I mean, the only thing they might work on is if you sneeze, they would just keep your snot from blowing everywhere. That's the, that's the good thing. Even then, if they're kind of loose, I mean, it could spread from the outside. <laughs> It's true. There's really never been studies. There's no scientific evidence. I would, I would, if I was a betting woman, I'd bet you. <laughs> so. so how can people really support their families? That's a good question. You know, it's so hard for me right now because I feel like, um, unfortunately, people are they're either A, worried about the virus, or B, they're worried about their finances and what they're going to do. So I feel like it depends on which family you ask, how they need to be supported almost. Um, you know, if you guys are worried um, about finances, I don't know how you're going to like feed your family in non-inflammatory food, which I understand because organic food is more expensive. It's a lot more expensive. And so if you, even if you have just a windowsill, get yourself some organic seeds and, and maybe start an organic windowsill garden. If you are lucky enough to have some flower beds in a yard, better, more power to you guys. Go after it. You can feed your family a lot of produce that way if you have the room. Um, and that's a nice or affordable way. I think everyone can get their hands on maybe some organic seeds. Um, and that way you guys can, can cut out some produce you have to buy and cut corners there. Um, because really, I think it's time to prioritize our health rather than, you know, buying whatever we used to buy with extra money. And not everyone has that luxury. I don't want to act like everyone has extra money and luxury to do that. But if you have money, prioritize your health if you can, if you can. That's number one. You'll feel, you'll sleep better at night, guys, with that. Um, and then, you know, as far as your immunity goes, just supporting your immune system, um, you really want to not be thinking about this day in and day out. This stress, I think you mentioned it earlier, it's it's really enough to send people with autoimmunity, autoimmunity into a flare sometimes, just the worry. And that's so underplayed and it shouldn't be anymore. It's a huge cause of illness. And so if you're really looking to reaching out to do a virtual call with a psychologist, a counselor, an energy worker, whatever calls to you, if you can't get your mind off this stuff and turn off the TV, it's propaganda. And so, and so um, those are my main tips. If you're having trouble sleeping, um, that's really important too. That's one of the foundational pillars of health, sunlight, sleep, good food, clean water, um, and really a community. And so if you can get all those things in order, even on the budget, just one thing at a time, then you'll be, you're doing good. You are. I love that. Yeah. What you said, I think now is the time to really prioritize our health. This is a huge wake up call. Um, 
And that being said, I think a lot of my audience is into health and wellness and loves reaching for the next best supplement. What sort of supplementation would you um, recommend? So um, there's a company, um, Microbe Formulas, they make an oxygen, a biomolecular oxygen that, um, yeah, that you can nebulize. You can actually take it orally. It's in a tincture. You can use it topically for pain because it hyper hyper oxygenates. So I really have been telling people a lot about that. I actually did a giveaway on my page um, for a biomolecular oxygen today. Um, yeah. Okay. Today. So you can still get in on it. Yeah. Today. Um, because it's such a, this is a product that, um, with so many respiratory issues and difficulty with oxygen saturation, this product is, is really great. You know, what, even though intubation or being on a ventilator may not be the answer, oxygen, all, supplemental oxygen has been shown to be helpful. So I really like that product. Um, and then there's just staples too. You know, um, if you're not able to eat all the food, the healthy food, you want to eat all the leafy greens, all the veggies and fruit, um, and um, even glandular proteins, which I really am a fan of, then that's when you need to start looking into supplementation with vitamin D, um, vitamin C, um, which, you know, C is always a good thing. You can always, you'll just pee it out if you take too much, right? Um, and, you know, even um, vitamin A is nice. Just keep it in a nice, good range, a safe range. Um, and then uh, probiotics I really like too. Um, and really just staples like that. You know, nothing crazy for people in general. Um, and, you know, guys, really there's no magic supplement. I tell this to people all the time. It's really what your life as a whole looks like um, and what you've done over the years, compounds. I agree. Really, I think that the main trigger here is stress emotional, especially during this time. So getting that, um, reducing that is, is Mm -hmm. so important and getting outside, getting sunshine. So important. Eating well. Yeah. (laughs) The big thing. It's it's really a cell. It's really a, um, it's a self love routine. It's a self care routine. I mean, all the things it's really learning to mother yourself. Just like if you had a child you would do for a child that was ill or worried or anxious or anything like that, you'd probably give them a nice warm Epsom salt bath and a nice meal and why we haven't learned to do that for ourselves in times of stress or when we need to be healthy. I don't know, but we haven't learned that. Yeah. Um, and you were talking about oxygen. Would ozone yeah. be time? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. There's actually a couple. I, I think a couple. I know of one. There's, I think, a couple, though. Studies out on ozone and how it does inactivate the viral capsid of coronavirus. Um, yeah, and therefore is a novel treatment for novel coronavirus. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I love to see that that study. I think I actually posted it on my Instagram story when I found it a month ago or so ago. Um, I have not had any patients that I've sent for ozone who've been positive for COVID yet, so I can't speak out of personal experience. But from what I know about ozone, it's super antipathogenic. It makes total sense to me. Yeah, yeah. and same with um, infrared sauna therapy. Yeah, you guys, this virus is really easy to kill. It's it's contagious. It's virulent. Yes, there are really um, dangerous cases, but it's easy to kill. You can literally like, scrub it and kill it. So um, with soap and water, right? It's not like this big, like it doesn't have like a steel capsule. It's actually kind of fragile. So um, yeah, heat will kill it. 
Heat will absolutely kill it. It can't, it's not heat resistant. Mm -hmm. And your killbind sweat protocol. Yes. Can that be beneficial during this time? And what is killbind sweat for those who don't know? So killbind sweat was coined by accident, actually. I just kind of posted it on one of my stories one day and it just caught fire and everyone started doing it. And it's still a thing now, but um, so killbind sweat is about, and let me clarify for people, kill just means a herbal antibiotic. Um, and I will say that the sweat part of the treatment is also a kill part of the treatment in itself. So um, some people don't even need the extra kill. They can just do bind and sweat. And yeah, and so um, so I like to use an herbal antibiotic, like I mentioned. Um, I like a lot of microbe formulas. I like biocidin. Um, I also, um, a lot of those just natural antibiotics are great, you know, oil of oregano and podiarco and all those things, really awesome. And then wait about an hour to take the binder, which helps to bind up the things you just killed and then sweat it out to get it out of the body. Because really a lot of people have problems with their elimination pathways and their drainage pathways. And so if you, like, if you don't sweat, that's not really good. I probably wouldn't start you off just right out of the gates with kill bind sweat because you might feel terrible afterwards if you just get overheated and you don't release anything that we just killed off. I know so many people who have a hard time sweating. Yeah. And they used to think it was all cool in high school. And I was like, it's not good, guys. It's not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the quicker you sweat, it's actually an indication of health for sure. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Same with eliminating having healthy bowel movements. Correct. Right today. Correct. Twice a day is ideal. Even three times a day, you really, um, and you do want to look at the quality of them. You don't want them to be super yeah. loose and inflammatory looking that can indicate inflammation in the body. That's a lot of people who are like, do I have underlying inflammation? That's a great way to tell, mm -hmm. you know, look at your poop. Um, yeah. if it's really loose and, and, and inflammatory, fluffy everywhere, that, that probably, you probably have some inflammation going on. Um, it should kind of look like soft serve, not to be disgusting, but yeah, it shouldn't, you shouldn't see undigested food in it, guys. You yeah. shouldn't, um, you know, tear skin trying to get it out, right? That happens to people too when they're really constipated. So normal it's, or normalized. Yeah. It's, it's not normal. It's not healthy. A true yeah. indication of good optimal health. And I know so many people aren't, aren't having those regular bowel movements and, yeah, it's like that, guys, for sure. It'll wear you out. It'll make you so tired because you're holding on to those toxins and you'll be exhausted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, is this something that you'd recommend for everyone? I mean, besides those who you know need to first work on sweating and yeah, that. But can this, is this like a regular part of your protocol? You know, yeah. I I definitely don't give people binders if they're constipated. I definitely don't have people, you know, go all out with a protocol if they can't sweat. A lot of times people have really bad reactions or feel terrible after sweating. And if that's the case, I'll start people slow. You know, I'll be like, you need to get a sauna, have access to one, and we're going to go in 10 minutes this week and 12 minutes the next week. And I acclimate them to it, to their body, to it. Um, and then they're able to tolerate a little bit more if you go in easy with people. Just add a little bit of time each week to the sweat session and they, they kind of acclimate and get used to it. And eventually one day they come out drenched. Um, and it just takes a little bit of work on proactivity and work on people's part. Mm -hmm. 
those who, well, I tried pill vine sweat myself because I had candida and parasites. So is that usually the audience that you get or like mold? Oh yeah. Mold too. For sure. All that, you know, really all that. I truly feel like people are sick because of self pathogens and our tests just are lacking a lot in finding them. Um, that, and they really, you can't set for me, you can't separate pathogens from heavy metals and other toxicities. Um, a lot of the parasites have affinity for that stuff. I really feel like it's one bound up conglomerate in the body and people, we're all exposed to this stuff. I mean, it's ubiquitous in the environment. You really can't get away from it. The people yeah. who have trouble are the ones who, who can't release it. And so if you're, if you're blocked, a lot of genetic mutations can do this where they start to block drainage pathways. Hidden pathogens will start to block out your genetic pathways to stop you from releasing toxins so they can make you a host forever. So there's a lot of, the problem comes when you can't eliminate things that you're exposed to, then, then you're going to look at disease pretty soon down the road. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how we got on that topic, but (laughs) we went way off. Yeah, I went way off. But, um, circling back to COVID, is there anything else that you think we should know? Yes, I do. There's one other thing. Um, I would never dare say this to my brother who's in the ICU with patients on ventilators every day and really probably stressed out. But um, I don't think that mechanical ventilation on ventilators is the answer to this. So um, I think I touched on it earlier. Mechanical ventilators are kind of harsh, you guys. Anybody I ever put on a ventilator, when I put the tube down their throat, we would put them on sedation and knock them out because it's so uncomfortable. And when we finally give them a sedation vacation and they wake back up, they start yanking the tube out themselves and and extubate the tube, extubate themselves, or they point at it and say, take it out now. And the minute we take it out, they sign a do not resuscitate order because it's that uncomfortable. No one ever wants that tube down their throat again. And the reason is every time you're taking a breath, it triggers the machine to shove oxygen down your throat and breathe for you. Um, And it's to give your lungs a a rest. The problem with COVID patients is a lot of them are younger and their lungs, lung architecture, nothing is wrong with it. Their lungs don't need a break. They're strong. The problem is O2 exchange. So a mechanical ventilator doesn't change the O2 exchange rate, right? Um, Giving someone a supplemental oxygen can do that because you're overcoming everything that's on the hemoglobin molecule, molecule, right? So the mechanical ventilation doesn't do that. actually damages lung architecture over time. And we know this because we can only keep people on a ventilator for about two weeks. Um, After two weeks, we'll talk to the family about doing a tracheostomy. So putting a hole in the throat here and, and attaching the tube here because it damages the trachea and the windpipe as well as the lungs to have the ventilator on them that long. Um, they become very weak. They're prone to secondary infections like hospital acquired pneumonia and things like that. So um, you see the high rate of death with people on ventilators because I don't think that's the answer. Mm. Wow. So that was lightning. Yeah. And I think that I mean, what I've been seeing on social media and stuff is that because of the influx of patients, um, there's death, the death rates are happening and they're not dying because of the virus. Is that right? Right. It's, well, it's sequilla from the virus. It's sequilla, you know, like people can die when they go to the hospital. A lot of people die from secondary infections. They don't die from like what they came to the hospital for. They die because they get, it's the hospital is a Petri dish, you guys. 
It's a petri dish. You go there to get sick. Okay. So, you know, you could always, that's a risk when you go to the hospital, secondary, anything, hospital acquired, anything, then mechanical ventilation is a, is a risk. And then you have the risk of clots, right? And this virus can set off the inflammatory cascade so much that the people start throwing clots and have clotting problems or embolisms. And that it's kind of sort of from the virus, but it's the body's reaction to the virus, if you will. Right. Kind of. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then what about, um, there was a protest that took place. Was it in, in New York or something? There was some in California at the Capitol. But there was one specifically that I'm referring to that was like staged, right? Oh, I- yes, that was. I do believe that was in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was in New York. And yeah. I, I get the idea behind it. But I think, I mean, just with everything, there, there's going to be two sides to everything. Exactly. Sometimes, but just really being informed and not just believing one side and staying open-minded. Um I think is the main idea that we're trying to drive from here. Yeah, guys, you know, ask questions. Don't just, you know, we do have to leave people on the front lines, but you also have to take everything in context is what kind of community are they seeing? Um, what are your friends and family members saying? Cause that matters too. Right. Um, and you really need to question authority figures, you know, do they have a vested interest? Is there money being exchanged behind closed doors all these questions need to dissent is your job and you're not selfish to exercise your rights. So all these things need to be addressed. I mean, looked at, that's the truth. Like people have constitutional rights and it's not a sin or a selfish for them to exercise it. It's constitutional. <laughs> for yourself and for your families. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I think <laughs> Cover just with everything. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, is there anything else that you want to add to it? We're good. I don't think so. I think I just want people to know that everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. Um, and really, no one's a victim. I truly feel like we all come here at a certain time. We know when we're going, we're not a victim. And so when you look at it that way and there's a a bigger picture, a a grander scheme out there and that the universe has our back, it just Mm -hmm. lets you breathe a sigh of relief, right? Mm -hmm. The world's not out to get us. There's, it's got your back guys. I love that. Um, I do have one last question for you. It is the human experience podcast. I always like to ask guests, what makes you human? Oh, I love that. Um, Gosh, making mistakes. Um, I've made a lot of mistakes. Some of them have been quite public. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it, I needed them because they've taught me, even though in the moment I would argue with myself about saying that. Mm. <laughs> but it's always been for the best. Yeah, we've yeah. all made mistakes and we learn from them and we grow from them. Yeah. And I know you have, and I'm so excited for you and your Thank future. You. And you. everyone, keep up with Dr. Jess. She is awesome. Where can everyone find you? Great. Yeah, thank you so much. So my new website is launching this week. It's It'll be um, drjessmd. Um, it's are not live yet, but it's already up. Um, and I'm just making the final test. It touches and edits on it. I'm really excited for you guys to see it. Um, and then you can find me on social media, on Instagram at Dr. Period, Jess period MD. 
Um, and then hopefully you guys will get to see a lot more of my educational videos, which will be on my new website too. Um, so I'm gonna kind of head towards that direction, educational videos and teaching. So. Yes, awesome. Yeah. Guys, well, you heard it here first from Dr. Jess. You, know, you guys know where to find her and keep up with her. So thanks for listening. Until next time. Thanks for listening, guys, to another episode of the Human Experience Podcast. I do always appreciate your love via Instagram DMs and now any ratings or reviews that you have to give my podcast. I would love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, And of course, feel free to share with friends and family so that others can hear my voice too. Until next time.